The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Gail Woody knows native plants and why they are so important for our gardens. She has been gardening for over 30 years, creating the perfect ecosystem with native plants for butterflies, hummingbirds, and other wildlife. Her passion for gardening is contagious. After listening to this episode, you will search out every opportunity to use native plants in your garden. Gail Woody is an ISA certified arborist and a seasoned advanced master gardener. She speaks and writes on butterflies, hummingbirds, and native plants, among other subjects. You probably remember listening to Gail in Episode 2, Attracting Butterflies to Your Garden, and Episode 5, Attracting Hummingbirds to Your Garden. You'll enjoy this Episode 13, Native Plant Wisdom with Gail Woody on the Garden Question Podcast in one moment. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at thegardenquestion.com. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question Podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. Gail, what is a native plant? A native plant is a plant that has been here many, many years, that is native to your area, that is able to withstand the temperatures, the extremes of drought, the uh, extremes of cold weather. Sometime in the south, a lot of hot weather. Oftentimes, we'll have drought years. Native plants can withstand this because they have become acclimated to our particular climate. And that is what we talk about when we talk about plant zones. It is really critical to pay attention attention to the zone that your property resides on. When you say zone, are you talking about the temperature zone or are we talking like coastal plains, Piedmont, mountains? What do you mean by that? All of the above, actually. Talking about the USDA zones. When you say USDA, you're talking about the United States Department of Agriculture. When you go to a plant nursery or anywhere you purchase and buy seeds or plants, you will pay attention to the back of the car the information on it. When you go to a website, to Georgia Native Plant Society, any of these plant websites, as well as the Department of Natural Resource site has just an amazing amount of information for growers. Any of these locations that you go to, you're going to see a plant zone. It's a USDA plant zone that shows you exactly where you are. We're in the Piedmont here, which is a rocky area. We're south of the North Georgia Mountains, which is a little colder climate. These zones are very critical when you make a plan for your backyard. Why would you plant a native plant? Because of the hardiness of it, number one. The opportunity to plant flowers, shrubs, and trees that you do not have to continuously water. 
when you purchase plants that are non-native to this area, you're going to put them out. And if you plant them in the wrong time of year, which is not the winter time uh, for some plants, of course, spring, fall, summer. When you plant them, you don't want to spend your drought summer going out there every day and having to apply water. This is what you're going to do if this plant is not in the correct zone. That's one reason for sure to plant native plants. Another reason is for the beauty and value of it to insects, birds. Also, ability to have a plant, tree, shrub, whatever the plant is, that can sustain itself through all these weird conditions and not die. When I hear native plant, my thought is it's native to somewhere in the world. What you're saying is we need to research and find that plant that's going to work in our zone, our area. When I think about it in terms of we're introducing that plant to a a non-native environment. This plant was native, say, in in a forest situation, and I want to bring it to my house. At my house, during the construction process, the soils were totally disturbed. There's no topsoil left whatsoever. How do you match up a microclimate at your home, including the soil, with what that native plant would probably have had in, say, like the forest? If you're going to the forest and bringing plants back, you certainly want to make sure that you have permission to do that. We do a lot of restorations and removals of plants before construction sites. We do that with permission. With the Georgia Native Plant Society, we do plant rescues. What we want to do when we do plant rescues, for a good example, is we try to restore the plants we remove before the construction crews come in and the big heavy equipment. We try to get them out of there. We put them in various locations, including our own backyard. When we're bringing plants in to an area the topsoil's been removed, say, in a backyard or a new home construction, it would be critical to bring topsoil back in and there's various companies that will bring topsoil back to your property. Most of our hardy trees, shrubs here can come back into this location with very little topsoil. It's important to leave leaf lid or be able to restore some of that property to your backyard. I want to incorporate natives into my landscape. It's not a native environment around that home. The ecosystem's not anywhere close to native. And I want to bring in some natives or incorporate some natives into my landscape. But I've got these microclimates. How do you match up your microclimate with your plant? You want to make sure you bring the correct native. If I'm interested in the beauty of red buds in the spring, the purple flowers, one of the first trees that are putting on the show, I'm interested in dogwoods and the beauty of those. This is two trees for an example. These are understory trees. It would be critical to not set these trees out in a solid full sun location. That would be harmful for these trees, for instance. If I'm putting out a native shrub like our azaleas, you think about how azaleas are in their landscape naturally. They grew all of our beautiful Piedmont azaleas and the non-native azaleas that you see at the nurseries. They love the acidic soil of pine trees. That's a great place to put them because they're also part shade. You look at those kind of things and consider that. I have Lorganis, which is a southern Georgia, mid-Georgia shrub that is evergreen. It's just magnificent. I started out with 
that one in a good bit of shade, only to discover if I wanted those gorgeous red blossoms, it needed part sun. It had to have some sun. I have a few full of sun that bloom profusely. Remember, when you are planting blooming shrubs and trees, they got to have sun or they do not do all of their beauty and glory. You can research easily on a website and see part sun, full sun, or they like a little of both. That kind of guides you because I have made plenty of mistakes in the past planting. Don't work in that location. I dig it up and I move it. And that's okay for a gardener too. Not get them too big. A lot of people want to have an instant scene out there, but be cautious about getting your plants too big. Oh, you can't move them yourself. You're trying to do your own backyard landscaping. You want to be careful about that. Remember how wonderful it is. If you want a little bit of evening sun, you want a lot. Most people don't want a tremendous amount of evening sun beating on their home. Your out edge of your backyard is where you could do giant trees that will grow to be large, like oak, maples, some of our beautiful eastern red maples, our sugar maples. All of these trees will help shelter your home a little in the afternoon. Not only that, it will also help with heating and cooling deals, which is a proven fact. What's one of the most valuable mistakes that you've learned from? I have a really good example of some of the mistakes I've made. I have Florida anise that I've had to cut major limbs off because it totally overtook the path. And not just that plant. I've got a lot of plants in my past that I have a lot of paths around my gardens. I have to remove some, take some out, cut them up, trim them back. That's because I put shrubs that actually got much wider than the path. Those are mistakes that really shows up. That's something that I pay a lot of attention to when I'm designing is that, you know, how wide is that plant going to get? How tall is it going to get? That that qualifies a plant to me and where to use it is what is this natural native size going to be as it matures? Because if you don't look at that size, like you're saying, you're constantly pruning on it. It becomes more of a hassle when you walk down the paths. It's not a low management type landscape when you don't pay attention to the size it's going to mature to. You move some plants a lot and I've done the same thing. It's like, I don't really like it there anymore. Let's move it. Or I have dug them up and thrown them away because they didn't perform like I wanted to. That's part of gardening, I guess. I think so. My backyard is uh, at all times a work in progress. It never stays still. And I do change, move, and sometimes things don't work. Sometimes things die. And I dig it out. And I try something and learn every time that happens. What's the relationship between native plants and our native wildlife? I would love to tell you about ecosystems. They are my passion when I talk to gardeners and when I do programs for people. I think my love for native plants shows I'm truly concerned about the non-natives that are brought in because insects are so critical. I know a lot of people want an insect-free backyard and landscape, but it's because they don't know how critical our native insects are and the role they play. Because it wouldn't take long without pollinators, there wouldn't be us. We have to have pollinators. I'm impressed with the concern I'm seeing from people because so much education is out there about natives now and the role that insect plays in our health and our life. The life cycle of insects, the pollinators, 
dominating for our food. The importance of them has become more understood. They truly are the little things that rule the world. Not only native plants for pollinators, but pollinators for no more pesticides. I don't use any type of pesticide in my backyard. I don't have to. There is nothing in the world like seeing ladybugs getting rid of all the aphids. And of course, I'm not a great rose bush lover because they're not native and no pollinators really care for them. Only non-native insects and bad bugs have a couple of rose bushes on arbors. For me, I love to see insects on my plants. They take care of each other. They always do. They don't need help. Native insects have taken care of themselves and bad bugs. And it's just an amazing thing to see them in an ecosystem where nobody puts pesticides and nobody touches them. I'm not saying I don't have to remove a few on my own and use a little dish detergent and scrub some stuff off, especially milkweed beetles. You would be surprised to watch nature. What a beautiful sight it is to me to see insects in my backyard take care of each other, control each other, pollinate my vegetable patch I have out here is just really a wonderful thing to see in the hundreds of butterflies. I have counted 38 species in my backyard at one given time. And that's all because of native plants, right? That's because of native plants and it truly, truly is. I think we talked before. I wanted live oak trees. I had a professor at UGA tell me they'll die. Well, you know, I just had to make sure he understood they won't die at my house. I have live oaks in the backyard. Never seen that many acorns. You have never seen that many blue jays and woodpeckers, squirrels, and the animals all over these live oaks with the acorns. It's a fascinating thing to see. I have geckos that I have grown, grew them up from little baby sprouts in a pot from a friend. I have two ginkgos out there beside those live oaks. It's not that you can't have natives. Just be careful of the natives. The Georgia Native Plant Society website lets you know, and so does the Georgia Forestry Service. They will tell you what not to put on your property, the most dangerous that will crowd out and kill your natives. You can get that information. You can have a few feature plants that you want in your backyard. Um, that are not native. I couldn't afford to remove all the non-natives when we bought this property. It had to be a process slowly over time, but I made sure if something didn't survive or I could remove it, I put a native back to keep a balanced ecosystem and a good ecosystem for everything out here. Your live be a non-native at your house? It's a coastal plain tree and you've brought it up to the Piedmont. It is Georgia State tree. I brought it up a little. I know that they tried to raise them in an urban place in Atlanta and they, they didn't survive. That was going to be a big deal. I also know a lot of people that have magnificent live oak. You are correct. I brought a live oak a little out of its zone, but I've had great success with it. That might not be a tree for a nice backyard habitat that's in the front yard because it will eventually get huge. There is a chance of losing it. Still a Georgia tree, but like a, a lot of plants that are around us today, I moved it up a little further north to test it to see. So it has done well. I know that you're trying to guide new gardeners, experienced gardeners alike, to make some pretty good choices for the bones of your backyard garden as far as trees and shrubs so forth. I've got some plants that I dig out and share because they've kind of got busy back here, like Linton Rose. You know, I don't feel guilty about that. I don't have a total native backyard. 
tried to keep it nearly native because even with myself, I see, wow, I didn't mean to have something take this much of my property. Taking out these Linton roses and giving them away, and I am bringing in native ferns and making a fern garden in its place in my park shade area. I don't want gardeners to feel guilty. And here's the problem. We see all this shocking, beautiful color, not just nurseries, more of these places that just remember, they don't get a choice of what they bring into these so-called green house areas. And inside the stores are grocery stores or tool stores, not going to name names, but I'm just saying, remember, they don't get a choice. They get what is just given to that location. They're going to get this truckload of plants. Nobody is looking at those plants for caring. And, and it's hard pressed for me to go and find a tree or a shrub or anything that's native at these locations. And that's why I encourage people, do your own research. Plenty of plant nurseries that you can talk to. Tell them what you want because they can get that plant for you. One thing I have learned, coastal plants don't make it here. They got really nice sandy soil. The beautiful rhododendrons that are native to Georgia and the North Georgia mountains don't bring those here. They just doesn't. They don't work. I have a non-native rhododendron that is gorgeous. It's not interfered with anything. It's been there now probably 20 years. Camellias. I don't think people should feel guilty when they bring those in. Be careful of the space because they do well and they'll get big. Mm -hmm. There's some camellias that love just morning sun and there are now some uh, varieties that like full sun. They'll make a beautiful center piece out there. Don't forget shrubs like the anise. We have some beautiful, beautiful viburnum. Mm -hmm. Also have in the winter a beautiful shrub of interest is witch hazel. Oh my goodness. They have beautiful blossoms in the spring. Think about winter interest also in your backyard because these are some most beautiful twisted limbs. And, and another couple that are not native here that I recommend is your maples that are more a shrub. You can either get the gold bark or the pretty cool bark maples. Basically a shrub more than anything. Yeah. I've got a drainage problem. I did a rain garden. So if my garden pond overflows, it can flow down to the rain garden. In the rain garden, it's full of cardinal flowers, so many trilliums and mayapples. It's really beautiful. It's been a lot of fun. Now, West Georgia chapter of the Georgia Native Plant Society, it rescues and we take everything to that site you're talking about. It's, and it is an amazing thing for people to get to enjoy that. There's a lot of irises. There's a lot of mayapples in there. Lots of different colored trilliums are there as well. We have some of the most magnificent trilliums. Pinks and yellows, white, are just beautiful, one of my favorite of all. Remember, when you see those there, they're in shade, mm -hmm. and that's what's critical to us. Uh, Pay attention to where they're growing wild before you buy those to put in your own backyard. There's where you mimic the same habitat and the same ground. Those plants are growing in rock. They're all growing with a shade of giant oak trees. So it's very important to match up that native environment that they thrive in when you're looking at putting them at your home. Absolutely. That's a critical thing. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be able to have some birds come to your property? Would you love to be able to sit and watch hummingbirds in the summer? They're attracted just like a butterfly. Birds are comforting. Birds and wildlife, they all improve people's health. Another reason to plant native, to be able to encourage all of these species of birds and for your family, they help you. They comfort people. 
They are healthy. I've read so much about them. That Bringing Nature Home by Doug Tallamy. I don't know if you know Doug or not, but he is incredible. And he's written a couple of books. The book Bringing Nature Home has changed my life. I already was overboard for natives before his book. The research put in the value, the low cost of your energy bills, the value of your health with native plant and bringing in the plant animals and creatures that come with it. You can bet on one thing. The things that bring butterflies to my backyard, they brought the hummingbirds in here quicker than I knew what to do with. There's not a color or a plant that a hummingbird won't touch. Just like a butterfly, there's not a plant, a little flower too small that a butterfly and a hummingbird won't get on. A lot of people don't realize that. Over my pergola out here is our native trumpet vine. Yes, it is a very aggressive plant. It's native. So you got invasive versus aggressive. I want a vine that would cover this huge purple out here and it be native and draw in hummingbirds or some type animal. It has become a home for nesting birds up here. It is a absolute hummingbirds to sit on the limbs hanging down and, and nectar from the flowers. It is just a magnet for hummingbirds, but it is also a safe place for them to they roost at night here. So does other birds as well. Even though they lose their leaves in the fall and winter, the vine is magnetic. That's something you just need to know what that vine is. It's going to get huge. You can't put it on a little picket fence. You can't put it on fencing that can't hold up to it. Mine is sitting out here, grounded, concreted in with big posts and treated lumber. And it is magnificent. More Native Plant Insights after this. TheGardenQuestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners. You can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like. Think of it as an extension of the podcast at TheGardenQuestion.com. That's the thing about vines in the landscape is they don't know where to stop. Found them to be very high maintenance. Just took a, a six by six pressure treated post and did a little cutting on the top to make it a little decorative and stuck that in the ground and put a trumpet vine next to it. Then put some rods through it and I can maintain that. I've had that vine planted there maybe five years and this is the first year we thinned it out some. We were kind of forced to because it's really taken off now and I don't want to chase that all over the yard and try to keep it pruned back. I did the same thing with Confederate jasmine i like those plants i like their blooms to me they're high maintenance plants if you don't figure out a way to control them you're right you're right now, I don't know if Federate jasmine is native or not. No, it's not. Oh, we have a beautiful yellow jasmine that is, but I found that to be pretty high maintenance as well. I love coral bark honeysuckles. Whatever made me think coral honeysuckle, I mean, it's native, and it is a magnet for hummers in the spring is the reason I put it out there. Highly sought after vine. You've got to maintain it. I'll tell you another vine that's native to Georgia that loves growing in a rocky backyard, a rocky place, period. And that is a cross vine. I was fascinated seeing a cross vine out in the wild. I just had to have one. So I grew it on a fence in the backyard behind our detached garage. Well, I didn't realize this. Several years later, look at the back of my garage. The cross vine went up the back of the building inside the heating and air unit holes. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I had to peel that thing off the back of the garage. Oh my, you should see the flowers to a cross vine. 
You know, if you've got native area and a lot of property, coral honeysuckle and crossvine are a couple, and you let them do their thing. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful, native, they're aggressive. And there's a difference in aggressive and invasive. Aggressive, what it means, think about it before you put it on your property. You know that what it's going to do versus invasive. Invasive is a species that will feed nothing. It will not help a bird actually Like Oregon grape, I would caution people because the forest is full of Oregon grape. Birds love those seeds and they've dumped them everywhere. Couldn't we letting them know some of the backbreaking mistakes they'll make when it comes to some of the non-native shrubs? Mm -hmm. It's going to cost them a lot more work than they're worth, that's for sure, because birds will eat some of these seeds, but birds are going to throw these seeds throughout our forest. The leatherleaf mahonias that you're talking about, which is the Oregon grape, that's one shrub I have changed my perspective on it. I, I really like the texture of it. The color's blue. It blooms. And then what used to be my attraction, you know, trying to design something that's blooming year round. And I'm thinking, okay, this is blooming then. It's got these beautiful grapes on it. You know, so you've got winter interest. But then, and I'm starting to see these pop up everywhere. And I'm thinking, hmm, this is not a good idea. And so I believe I've eradicated every one of those from my property now because they were, they kept popping up and I've kind of looked at, you know, just around and tried to get rid of it. My question is, is there another one that would be a beautiful evergreen for winter interest that's native? The anise is native. It also uh, has leaves. It's evergreen. When I bought this property, there were three beauty berries, and they were gorgeous. I I did not know this plant, but I know it's a native plant, and it has these purple clusters of berries on it every fall. And it drops the leaves, and there are these purple berries. This would be one that you'd classify as gorgeous. The birds are moving them around, and I'm starting to see beauty berry pop up everywhere. And it's like, what changed? I mean, what in that 20-year span, why didn't I have these beauty berries? berries popping up everywhere i need to go dig them out and do something with them and i probably have got 20 or 30 of them now that have popped up in another bed all the way on the other side of the property what would we classify that it's not an invasive absolutely not invasive magnificent you are right this is a shrub birds will love the berries and they will stroll them just like winterberry the beautiful winterberry when those leaves drop and those red berries that take your breath away Yeah, I've planted three winter berries, and I put a pollinator with them. They didn't perform too well this last year. I think the deer might have eaten some of the tilt. You know, I think when we talk about, you know, okay, so now I know I've strung a bunch of beauty berries, Mm -hmm. and this is what we should think about. They do no harm. They're native here. They've been here since the indigenous people were here and further. Do they harm anything? No. They do not destroy the understory. They do not choke out trees and kill trees like Chinese wisteria. Trees are literally dying for lack of sunshine and and what they need from this wisteria. We have a beautiful wisteria that's native and very easily controlled, not aggressive at all. It's just a native wisteria that is beautiful. A lot of people are drawn to bringing the Chinese native to their property. Unless you really can handle that and keep that off of your trees, uh, you're going to have some trouble with it. That plant right there is one that developed my dislike for a lot of vines. I would see it running across yards, and i say, who wants a yard with that wisteria like that? I mean, it's, you can't control it, and it escapes really fast. Do you know the name of the other wisteria, the native wisteria? Amethyst Falls, and it is a beautiful wisteria, and I have a small metal 
arbor, and I have amethyst files growing on it, and I've never even had to trim it. I just uh, weave it around. It never goes anywhere. It doesn't crawl across the property. It has beautiful blossoms in the spring, and you can buy these almost everywhere. Mm-hmm. My husband brought in a Chinese wisteria years ago and planted it one of our pergolas. You know, like you say, I am still digging up shoots that come out of the ground everywhere from it, so I learned my lesson. We've made lots of mistakes at our property, Craig. <laughs> my, my. <laughs> now that I remember all the mistakes, I wish I could think of this shrub around front. It's the little green leaves, and it'll have beautiful little blossoms and berries, and, and you can easily keep it trimmed. It's not Indian hawthorn, is it? I, of course it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, now you can get a Indian hawthorn that doesn't get so big. But Indian hawthorn is another beautiful shrub that could be put in a landscape. And it feeds birds. And I think you can now get it actually as a dwarf. And it doesn't have to be pruned back as much. Yeah, there is a dwarf. Deer love those things, though. They they love them. Yes, they do. I had some of them planted outside our house, and it was close to my daughter's room. And, and she came into my room and said, Dad. There's there's somebody outside my window. And I said, oh, yeah, what is it? And I don't know. I didn't look. And so we looked, and it was morning, and it was deer. Devastated the uh, Indian hawthorn that was right outside of her window. <laughs> That's what she was hearing. That is beautiful. They also love hosta. Oh, yeah. So hosta is a wonderful shade plant, and it does no harm. Hosta's beautiful. If you have a deer problem, you better be careful about planting hosta. Mm-hmm. I have several hosta I love that I have intermingled with my ferns out here. We have a fenced-in backyard, so... So I've never well, had a deer come into the backyard. The few hosta that were around the front of the house got eat up, that's for sure. They will trim them to the yeah. ground. Yeah, I had some in containers. I probably had a couple of hundred. And one morning I got down where I had them, and man, they had devastated them. <laughs> yes, and we call hosta deer candy. You are right about rabbits love them for sure. They will eat them up. I love our native sedges. I don't know if you're familiar with some of our native sedge, but I have rabbits in the backyard, and they will eat my sedge to the ground. Of course, you know, they don't kill it. Rabbit rarely kills anything that they eat down. Um, I wouldn't have marigolds if, if, they did, if it did bother them because they'll eat my marigolds up. It, you know, but it's a balance in nature and your plants. And uh, and uh, lots of plants you'll see when you research them will tell you if uh, deer eat them. They'll let you know. If deer eat them, rabbits probably love them too. Do you know you keep that in mind? Tell me about the sedges. Give us a quick little insight into sedges. Our native grasses and sedges are really a passion of mine. They're so beautiful. I have them in my rain garden. I have the wide leaf sedge lining the area where the water washes. Our native grass and sedges will stop drainage problems. can use them not only for the beauty. They bloom in the spring, but they're green all year for beautiful interest. You can get them in all colors and sizes. So that's something that would be real valuable, especially if you've got a drainage problem or if you're creating a, a dry creek bed on your property, those would be beautiful to plant there as well. Growing up as a child, we had native grasses. Yeah. Property. It doesn't have to be junky and grown up. I don't think mine's too grown up because I stay at it, but oh, I love playing in plants. I crawl in my backyard and play in my plants. Move them, share them, give them to my friends. I have a dogwood that is dying because it's old, and that's just what a tree does. They die. 
So I've planted a dogwood beside it that's growing in its place. These dogwoods are just vital for all the birds in our backyard. They roost there. They seek shelter in the dogwoods. And in the spring, the blue jays absolutely love the berries. And what a wonderful thing that blue jays are strowing dogwood <laughs> berries all over the forest, right? That's right. <laughs> you couldn't ask. You could not ask for a better thing to happen. I've taken some of those strong young dogwoods and hard to transplant a dogwood. This is on my property and it was popping up where I didn't really want it. So I moved it. And usually I, when they're young, I can have more success. But if you're trying to move a big one, you're, you just might as well forget it because you're going to kill it. It's a great tree to have. Dogwoods are definitely. And they have so much value for our native insects. It makes a huge difference. You know, another thing, Craig, when we talk about trees and such and not removing all of them, when you look at your backyard, I would tell a homeowner, pick out the trees and, and keep trees that you love or at least keep some. Pick that tree out and plan around it. A tree, the roots extend way past their uh, drip line. And the drip line is the edge of the tree where the leaves are. The roots extend out. They need to be, they're very shallow roots, by the way, as you know. They're seeking water and food and nutrients. The roots go out. You have to consider uh, turf grass is going to harm those roots and going to stump that tree. When you plant a garden in your backyard, pick out some trees that you want to work around. Use bark, pine straw, and plan trails around that in your backyard when you do a landscape design. You can always have a terraced area with some sod if you want to have a place to set up your chairs and swing. I mean, you can use all of these different components with your landscape. What would say your top five trees that you would start in again? What would you put in? Our native maples, of course. And if you have some shade area, definitely have red bud. Yeah. I am pretty crazy about the looks of my pawpaw trees. They don't get terribly big and they don't grow. If you want something 20 foot tall versus, of, of course, you're going to have a 60 foot tall oak tree in its best environment. I would say definitely I love my dogwoods. I love my red buds and I love my maples. Oaks, goodness, you got to have oak trees. We don't need to short the oaks by no stretch. I also love beech and elm. Can you really transplant a, a beech tree? I've not seen that available in the trade. Maybe I'm just not looking in the native nurseries or anything, but I mean, I see it in the woods. I think it's a gorgeous tree. Well, they're so easy to transplant. In the winter, they're beautiful. You can look out in a forest, and that is a good guide for people to look at, too. And you see a tree out there that's got little light-colored leaves. They just haven't come off, and they stay for the most beautiful winter interest, even in your own backyard. And they are one magnificent tree. And yes, they're the easiest tree. Get them when they're small. You would not believe that this tree out here is seven or eight year old, and it looks like it's been there 50 years. A beech tree is a simple tree. But you know what? If people would buy them small and not buy them too large, you could transplant. Mm -hmm. Almost all of our native trees are easy to transplant. What about yellow wood? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> 
yellow wood. Did you see the blossom? I did. It was really gorgeous. First time I saw it, golden leaves. Had no idea what it was. And the shape of it was just unbelievable. It gets big around as it gets tall, you know. It just has this magnificent shape. I put it out as a feature tree. We took down a sweet gum on our property that had just ruined the front yard. I researched it, found out what an underused tree that tree actually is. In the spring, the flowers hang three, four-foot-long tendrils, groups of just clusters of flowers. It puts a grapevine to shame with clusters of grapes and a wisteria. Even native and non-native wisterias, Mm -hmm. the clusters of flowers hang down. Honestly, it's the most breathtaking thing I think we need to talk hydrangeas. We do have our oak leaf, the most beautiful of all. I planted a native magnolia. They're young enough, you can move a magnolia tree. And I have oak leaf hydrangeas around it. And I think maybe truly those flowers are my favorite. And you know, we have a native climbing hydrangea mm-hmm. that folks don't really realize too. That absolutely is magnificent. Grows up the forest trees all the way to the top and blooms and actually feeds a lot of of animals, you know, and and it doesn't choke the tree or hurt the tree. That's another vine you could actually bring in that you'd find. It doesn't like a lot of sunshine, but you could find that it wouldn't harm your trees. So that's a good vine. Talking to people about our native plants, trees, and shrubs. Honestly, people don't have a clue just how many beautiful native plants we have. And that's why I try so hard to encourage people, consider some of these. We have a lot of beautiful native plants. Thank you, Gail Woody, for Episode 13, Native Plant Wisdom, on the Garden Question Podcast. You're tremendous. I'm your host, Craig McManus. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question Podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question Podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.